we look at the the third line of the last stanza of Sweet Hour of Prayer, speaks so much to what our situation is and what the reality of our lives are. This robe of flesh I'll drop and rise to seize the everlasting prize. One of the things that has <clears throat> developed new meaning in me over the last few years when you get plunged into fatherhood like it's a of boiling water, shall we say. Uh, you like that illusion? <laughs> um, I think maybe certain things strike you all of a sudden that might sort of sneak up on you, but one of the things that struck me, and it, it is with reference to this as well, is um, how often the, the girls, particularly Sarah, she's crying, she wants me to wipe her tears, and as a father, I don't remember doing that with my dad. We were very close, but I don't remember asking him to wipe away my tears. And that's the expression that's given to us in Scripture is that the Heavenly Father wipes away all of our tears. And heaven is the place where we're looking forward to that. So <clears throat> today we will continue to look at, to examine the Ten Commandments. And we are looking today at the Eighth Commandment, and gate rhymes with eight, gate. And so you think of the Eighth one, and what you think of when you think of eight and gate is someone entering a gate to steal what's inside. Therefore, you know what the Eighth Commandment is. You shall not steal. So that is specifically the verse, Exodus 20, verse 15, and I will be referring to several other passages also during this message. Let us pray. Dear Father, we give praise and thanks for the certainty of heaven, for the knowledge that as a result of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the faith that you have accomplished in us, you have proclaimed that we are free from the guilt of sin not through anything we have done, but because Christ has accomplished this work and you have applied it to us. Lord, we look forward to heaven because it will be the place where all of our tears will be wiped away. We will see the fulfillment of all glory. We will be in this place that we are anticipating with eagerness where there will be no sorrow and no sin. Prepare us for that place. Work in our hearts, in our lives, holiness and perfection. Cause us to see as we look at your word today, Lord, how you desire for us to be different. And I pray, Lord, that my words might be faithful to your word in keeping with your word, because your word is holy. In Jesus' name, amen. There is, you don't normally think of a a blessing coming with... with any of the commandments that are restrictions. Um, There's a blessing with the commandment to honor your father and mother, but you don't think of any blessing coming with stealing, do you? In a way, there is a blessing that comes with this commandment and the sin of stealing. In a way, it is somewhat different than the other commandments and the other sins because in many instances, the sin of stealing is a sin that can be corrected. 
<clears throat> by restitution, which is the biblical punishment for those caught stealing. What do you do to someone caught stealing? You cause the person to restore the property, the possessions. <clears throat> Murder, of course, cannot be corrected. It can be forgiven, and every sin can be forgiven. <clears throat> but it cannot be corrected. Because the murdered person is, of course, gone from this life. Adultery cannot be corrected. But when the thief returns the property that he stole, this is as close as it gets to personally righting the wrong. We have several examples in the Gospels of thieves who corrected their sins under the direction of the Lord and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And we get to witness their joy at returning what they stole of their own free will, by the prompting of the Holy Spirit who has brought about repentance in their hearts. In the story, for instance, of Zacchaeus, what did Zacchaeus do? He's notorious for being the first tree climber. <laughs> Something along those lines. This tax collector heard that Jesus was coming, and he sped to the place where Jesus was speaking, climbing a tree so that he could see in order to hear what Jesus had to say. In Luke 19.5, we read this. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I want to stay at your house today. <clears throat> so he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and they began to mutter. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. <clears throat> Bad news. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay him back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has entered this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. This is a glorious story. As we look at stealing, we want to begin by seeing stealing as God see it, sees it and understanding the impact of stealing upon our world and our relationships. Next week, we'll finish this commandment by examining the tentacles of theft and stealing as they reach into all of our lives. <clears throat> and we will look at what must be done regarding this sin. Stealing is taking something unjustly <clears throat> from the owner with the purpose of depriving the owner of his rightful possession. Everyone knows how to steal. Stealing is taught among the youngest children on the playground by a simple rhyme. Right. Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. <clears throat> this is a commandment which we're able to section off. We're able to seek the le to follow the letter of the law while avoiding the spirit of the law. Regarding this commandment, we should concern ourselves more, less with whether we are audit-proof with the IRS, and more with whether we are keeping the law in such a way that the Lord will find we have not stolen. So let us look at stealing as God see it. <clears throat> of course, in this commandment, it goes without saying, but I keep on saying it. This commandment involves not just man's definition, it includes much more. <clears throat> if 
we must remind ourselves that the law of our land is not what determines the application of this commandment. It is God's law, because God's law always transcends, is above, is more valuable, it has a higher priority than man's law. His law always has greater authority. Now, if if man's law says we should not do something, and God's law, it does not contradict God's law, then according to God's standards, we should always obey man's law. But if God's law prohibits something, man's law says we are free to do. We are not to obey man's law. We must obey God's law. Because in terms of our relationship with the Lord through faith, we are not seeking and should not seek the easiest route, which is obeying man's law, but instead the way that pleases the Lord. What does this mean in terms of stealing? How does it break down to practical aspects? It means that if the government says, you and I owe taxes, we owe taxes. Just as Christ said, that his people should, and I'm quoting from Luke chapter 20, verse 25, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, when he was asked about taxes. It means that if the government permits us to declare bankruptcy, for instance, and be free of all obligation on our debts, since God's law says that we are to pay every man what we owe him, we are obligated by God's law to work towards the just repayment of our debts, even if relieved by the legal recourse of bankruptcy. It means that we will not do certain things that are nonetheless legal, because we are bound by and desire to obey the command from the Lord to consider our neighbors as ourselves and do unto them what we would have them do unto us. Jesus words to the Pharisees and teaches of the law regarding paying taxes. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and give to Caesar what is Caesar's were more than just a clever answer to a thorny question. In this answer, the Lord revealed the basis for ownership. And therefore, it's application to this commandment that we not steal. Ownership is honored and upheld by the Lord. If someone owns something, it is theirs by right. It's not to be taken, whether by force, as in armed robbery, or by guile, as in cheating, or through any form of trickery or any other method. If Christ had it in his mind, for instance, to promote communal ownership of property, he had plenty of opportunity to do so. And the authority as well, and he didn't. Now we understand that in the book of Acts, in the early part of the book of Acts, the New Testament church shared possessions in common in order that all the needs among the church would be met equally. But the message of Scripture is a message of personal accountability in all of its aspects. God regards individuals as accountable for their own situations. Adam was called, go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam was called by the Lord to account for failing to take the blame for his sin in the garden squarely upon his own shoulders. This woman that you gave me, she took of it and she gave it to me. Not, I am guilty. And God called Adam to account for his failure to take personal responsibility. Through the earliest of experiences on throughout Scripture, God impresses it upon people that we are responsible, we are accountable for our own lives. If people sin, it is because they themselves are guilty of sinfulness. 
those who demonstrate righteousness, he promises to reward, and he does so. God desires those who work hard and diligently to reap the benefit of their labors. And so we see that with regard to stealing, God rewards and encourages diligence. This is another reason why he is opposed to theft. Several verses, beginning with Deuteronomy 25.4. Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. In other words, if the ox is working and it gets hungry, it is owed food from its work. 1 Corinthians 9.7. Who serves a soldier at his own who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk? Do I say this merely from a human point of view? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, quoting back to the Deuteronomy passage, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us, because when the plowman plows and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? And he goes on to say something similar in 1 Timothy 5.17, in which he quotes the Deuteronomy passage and quotes also a verse in which he says, The worker deserves his wages. These messages repeat the same theme. God is the giver of all good gifts, and he gives as he chooses to those who work hard, diligently, and capably. He desires for those who have put in the labor to reap the fruit of their labor. Again, this gives insight into his evaluation of theft. It's no wonder that stealing is a sin when he has such a desire that people keep the blessings that he gives to them for their work. Think of an example from the Old Testament. It's the story of Laban and Jacob, Rachel and Leah. And the story was such that Laban was the father of Rachel and Leah. Jacob was smitten with Rachel, who was the younger of the two daughters of Laban. And so he and Jacob worked out an arrangement whereby he would work for seven years and then he would have the privilege of marrying Rachel. Laban was a thief because what he did on the wedding night was he substituted Leah for Rachel. And in the light of the morning, Jacob realized the substitution and he was furious. Very surprised and furious, as you can imagine. And so he dealt with Laban on this, and Laban said, well, it's proper and right only to marry the older sister first, and so I'll I'll, I'll give you the younger one too if you work for me another seven years. Now the interesting thing about that is, is not only for us to see that God had promised to bless Jacob, but also that God took a direct hand against Laban because of his thievery. And so we read about this in Genesis 29, verse 4, when Jacob is married to these two women, and he is taking charge of Laban's flock. And this is what happens. So Jacob sent word to Rachel and Leah to come out to the fields where his flocks were because he realized all of a sudden that he was receiving all... He was getting wealthy and Laban was getting poor. And it wasn't because of thievery, as you'll see as I read the passage. God was seeing to it that the one 
who was his child who had not stolen reap the reward at the expense of the thief. <clears throat> he said to his, his wives, I see that your father's attitude towards me is not what it was before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I've worked for your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me, another method of theft, he has cheated me by changing my wages ten times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. If he said, the speckled ones will be your wages, it was a question of keeping sheep. So they kept on making an arrangement in which Laban would say, okay, well, you get the speckled one. Oh, well, no, I don't like that because there were more speckled ones. Well, you get the spotted ones. Oh, well, he saw there were more spotted. Well, you get, so it was just a constantly changing situation. If he said the speckled ones will be your wages, then all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. <laughs> He's deep frustrated. And how can you produce that? It's impossible. And if he said the streaked ones will be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. In the breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw that the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled, or spotted. <laughs> the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, I answered, here I am. And he said, Look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted, for I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. God will have nothing to do with and punishes theft. As shown in this account, he will exact vengeance against those who steal from others. So Jacob flourished while Laban's fortune dwindled. This account is important to remember whenever you are on the receiving end of the injustice of theft. <clears throat> it can be very frustrating to be come home to your home, come to your car, not find it there, which happened to us in Boston. Well-known Boston seems to be well-known for these sorts of things. Come to your home, you find it's been broken into, things stolen out of it. Come to your locker at school. Any situation, obvious sorts of situations of theft like this, very frustrating, very causes great anger. We need to remember that God acts on behalf of those who have been stolen from. Then we need to understand the impact of stealing upon our world and relationships. Those who treat theft as insignificant will feel its bite. Those who treat it as insignificant will feel its bite. In the congressional elections this past year, the people of Illinois elected Carol Mosley Braun. Here's where I get direct. <clears throat> they demonstrated through this attitude the attitude of our world today, which is callous towards theft. Someone stole, big deal, as long as they didn't steal from me. That's what I'm concerned about. If they want to steal from me, then it's not okay. But if they want to steal from the government or someone else, well, that's not everybody does it, right? <clears throat> this lady, guilty of welfare fraud. This tells us that people consider stealing to be commonplace. Even the rank and file, common people, people just like us. <clears throat> Breaking the simple laws of our world, which says, for instance... You owe the government money. <clears throat> what happens when people consider stealing to be a commonplace? When they elect an official who they know has a past of stealing from the government? The simple answer is this. People can give up their stealing, but unless they have sworn off stealing, those who advance to higher positions simply find stealing easier and more lucrative from their exalted positions. 
Because God has created our world as a world of consequences, he desires for us to learn that hard work brings benefits. And that those benefits are a blessing of hard work. Possessions come, then, from hard work. And those who have earned them have the right to keep them. So God's law indicates that stealing is a crime against him and against mankind. What do we call this? In days past, we would have called this the Protestant work ethic. Today, the Protestant work ethic is nearly gone. Our nation has given up its motivation in droves and decided that being diligent and getting ahead are suspect. In fact, if we teach and practice the biblical principle that those who are able to work must and should work to earn their food and their keep, we are regarded as heartless, lacking in compassion. If this is how God tells us our world should be run, so that people value working and earning what they get by the efforts of their own hands, not by receiving it from others when they are capable of earning it for themselves. From Scripture, we learn that people gain dignity and honor from their work, whether they are superb in raising children and managing a home, craftsmen skilled in their work, merchants who sell products with diligence and fairness, employing fair weights and all that that involves in our modern-day world. Dignity comes from working to the best of our ability to the glory of God in whatever we do, whether as students, as mothers in the home, as people in education, whatever workplace we are in. Thieves ask others to work for them, then they take the harvest. So our initiation of the welfare state in our country has resulted not in fewer people depending upon those who work to support them, but on greater and greater numbers of people depending upon fewer people to support them by the work of their hands. Our national liking for getting things by the easy way has resulted in people financing everything they purchase rather than paying for it outright, rather than paying it off outright, paying simply interest charges. Credit cards are such a convenience and they are offered in such a seductive way. And let me just make a note here for those of you who are in college or preparing to go there that uh, that's frequently the time in which the credit cards will begin to come. Remember this at that point. Other people would have you steal so that you can juggle the money just to keep paying them. But at a certain point when you're unable to pay, it is stealing. Remember that when you get, all of us know how many credit card, free credit card applications, free and guaranteed, come in the mail constantly. Just, you know, several a week. And if you added up all that money, many people get tens of thousands of dollars and hundreds of thousands of dollars into debt before they realize that this money has to be paid back. Stealing is a cancer on our nation that eats us up. And it eats us up by causing us to have this, to follow this seductive lure to get something for nothing. We see finally, sort of returning to the original point on this, that people who do not value others' property will in turn lose theirs. 
The people who consider the property of others free for the taking or the giving. And I think in the court decisions of juries in our day, stealing is going on very frequently in the judgments that occur, the juries give out. They're not stealing for themselves. They're stealing from someone to give it to someone else. It's a Robin Hood sort of stealing. Nevertheless, it is theft. <clears throat> a people who consider the property of others free for the taking or giving have gotten the leaders they deserve who consider the property of others <clears throat> also free for their taking or redistributing as they see fit. Therefore, when the people of our land think that property doesn't mean much and ownership doesn't mean much, we get a government that thinks the same way. And then all of a sudden we shouldn't be surprised if it's our property thereafter. Because that's what happens with theft. Everybody else's things get taken, and then those who have not spoken out, their things get taken as well. <clears throat> as we conclude today and look to examine the many faces of theft next week in order to go further to see what we must do to stop stealing in our community and deal with it as it lures us personally, return for a moment with me to the opening illustration from the life of Zacchaeus. The thing that we must remember from the life of Zacchaeus is that this sin is like all others. It is not beyond the reach of the Holy Spirit's prompting to repentance and trust in Christ. Zacchaeus was forgiven. Salvation today entered his house. The final thing that I would like to mention with regard to this, as it occurred to me as I was thinking about it, is Christ said, you and I are to prepare for ourselves treasures in heaven, Right? where moths do not eat, rust does not corrode, and thieves do not steal. If you want a message that tells you exactly how Christ feels about stealing and how he desires for people to earn what is theirs by right and to keep it, that tells us it. If we earn something here on this earth, it can be taken away by a thief. Whether it's a animal, a mineral, or a person. <clears throat> if we prepare treasures in heaven, it will be there. So we need to consider these things and we need to be preparing for ourselves treasures in heaven. Theft has a value in our day because it reminds us these things will be gone one day. Heaven is what we're preparing for. Let's pray. Your Father, help us to prepare for heaven as we consider stealing. Help us to examine our own lives and our own hearts. And as we are the brunt of stealing or have experienced the injustice of stealing for our, by others stealing from us, we pray that you would remind us through this that we are not living for this world or the possessions of this world, but for the life to come. In Jesus' name, amen.